תשובות, כ"ב סב"א, אוסר שיפן אוסרטי, הפשע אסרו, הפשע יתיר. Today we'll take a hashkafik and מוסר deviation, a bit of a detour, from a halachic principle that's very central to the whole of כתובות that we'll have today. We've had it before, we'll have it in many places in the מסכת, especially in this פרק. That is the idea of הפשע אסרו, הפשע יתיר. Uh, where a person makes a statement and then qualifies the statement uh, that under certain circumstances you have to believe the qualification if you believe the initial statement. And we'll see examples of that in our Mishnah. But what it leads us to look at is the challenge that we have all the time. We spoke yesterday about the difference between information and narrative. The challenge we have all the time is that we often have to filter information. We can't assume that all the information we get, particularly nowadays, where there's such a massive volume of information, we can't assume that all the information is accurate, that it's all authentic, that it's all true. Um, the, uh, we, we've got to understand that, that we have to filter. We have to have different ways of filtering our information. Each of us find the ways we want to, we want to filter information. Uh, but there are times when you don't want to filter information. What we're going to be looking at is the difference between those and, and that second category. The second category is narrative. If it's facts, if it's information, you've got to select. Because one piece of data doesn't necessarily link to another piece of data. One piece of information isn't necessarily part of another piece of information. So you have to sort it out and you have to decide what you're going to accept and use and what you're not going to accept and use. And these are, are, are issues that come up in decision-making in any situation, uh, in our professional lives, our business lives, any, any form of leadership that we're involved in that needs to sift out information and decide what information you'll use as inputs to your decision-making and to the development of your worldview is something we're doing all the time. But there's also the idea of a narrative you can't pick and choose. You can't read a book and say, well, I accept chapter one, but chapter two, if it's a, a novel, you're reading a story. You can't take part of the story and not the other part of the story. A narrative fits together. That's why it's called a, a, a narrative. Uh, the word Sefer, which is, which is a, a, a book of Shul, we were talking yesterday about the Sefer HaYetziro, um, that, that Sfira and Sefer, counting and, and narrative, have the same root in Hebrew because counting is sequential. One to two to three to four to five, that's how a narrative works. It, it works, it has sequence. And if you pull one of it out, sorry? Chapter one, chapter two. If you pull a piece of it out, and then you're messing with the whole narrative. Um, so, so narrative and information are dealt with differently when it comes to questions of selection. Uh, the the posuk that this piece of this mission, this piece of Gemara is built on, is a posuk in Kitetzei, when a, a father accuses a young man, a, a woman who's married a, a young man, uh, the girl is a, is a young girl, uh, and, and, he, and he says... Um, The, the whole story of why she, she's being accused by the husband as not being a virgin and so on. The, um, he, the father brings the girl to the basin and he says, I gave this young girl to this man as a, as a woman, as a wife, and he has turned against her and made all sorts of accusations. That's the posuk. The Mishnah says, A woman comes to another country, nobody knows her, nobody has ever heard of her before. She says, I used to be married, but I'm now a divorcee. 
Nehmenet. She, she's believed that she's not an Eshet Ish. She now wants to marry somebody, not a coin, just an ordinary person. We allow her to get married. We don't know that she's unmarried. But she tells us she's a Grusha. Why? Because the mouth that gave us the, the Isu, she, sa she said, I used to be married. We wouldn't have known that without her. So we're dependent on her for the information. If we're dependent on her for the information. And she then qualifies it and says, but subsequently I became divorced. We've got to accept that too. Because that's narrative. That's not fact. Each one on its own is information. I was married, that's information. I am a Grusha, that's information. But I used to be, be married and I div became divorced, that's a narrative, that's a story. And you've got to accept the whole story or none of the story. You can't accept a piece of the story. However, if we have witnesses that she was married, but he or married Grushani, and she says, yes, I was, but now I'm divorced. Now this is fact, this is information. The witnesses give us information. She was married. She gives us information. Now I'm divorced. What do you do with these two pieces of information? She's not believed. Where in the Torah do we see this principle of that if we've got to accept the whole narrative? The moment he says, I married my daughter off. If we pause there, her daughter is an Ashitish. She's, she's a married girl and cannot be married. Uh, Hazer, when he says to this man, then he's saying, yes, yeah, she's forbidden to any other man, but to the, this, but this is her husband. So there you see the two sides of, of uh, her, her, him forbidding her to anybody else by what he's telling us, and then allowing her to this particular man. We've got to believe the whole narrative. And then the Gemara goes on to say, ask the Gemara, Lamali Kra, why do I need a, a posuk? Why do I need a verse in the Torah? Svarahi. It's logical. He asra, who asra, who sharila. He is the one who tells us that she's forbidden. So he's the one who's allowed to tell her that that she's permitted. In Tosfos, we see that Tosfos's approach in this is to learn it as a migu. She could have kept. He could have kept quiet. Or in the case of the Mishnah, the woman who comes and says, "I used to be married. I'm no longer married. I'm now divorced." She could have just kept quiet. Said, "I'm unmarried. Not tell us the story at all." So it's a kind of a migu. Since she's telling us the story, we believe her. Because if she wanted to lie, there are better ways she could have misled us. There are better ways that she could have lied, and she chose not, not to do that, so we believe her as a migu. That's the famous approach of Tosfus in most places. Rabbi Chonon Vassaman says that, it's, um, uh, that in Bovabasa, Tosfus holds differently, but he also e explains there is another approach in the Rishonim. Uh, the Baralochus Gedolus works this way and others, and that is it's not a migu. It's a, it's, it's a different concept, and he doesn't develop what the concept is. But, but what I suggest to you that the concept is, is, is one of intellectual ownership. This is one of the cases where we, where we see the concept in the Gemara of, of, of intellectual property, that the originator of, a, of an idea is the owner of the idea. The originator of a narrative, the author of a narrative, owns the narrative. And he or she can take the narrative where they want, and, and you've got to go with them because you don't have a source for the narrative except them. So we're looking here at authorship. When you're looking at information and facts, you don't care about authorship. You just care about whether the facts are right or wrong, whether the facts are reliable or they're not. But when you're reading narrative, you want to know who the author is because with the author comes authority. And where we see this um, very beautifully and very importantly is in the Hakdome, in the introduction to the Shari Yoshe by Rabbi Shimon Shkop. Rabbi Shimon Shkop was one of the 
most important Rosh Hashivas of the period in between the two wars. And as I mentioned to you, very influential in, in my life because he set a lot of the methodology of the Tel's Yeshiva was set by Reb Shimon Shkop when he was a Rosh Hashiva there. Uh, my father studied in, in Tel's and, and learned the Derech of Reb Shimon Shkop there. My Rosh Hashiva Rebellion Mishkovsky was a Talmud, a close Talmud of Reb Shimon Shkop. So he taught uh, Reb Chaim Shmuel Levitz, who was a Rebbe of mine in Mir, was a Talmud of Reb Shimon Shkop. So he taught the the methodology of, of Reb Shimon Shkop. So it's something that, in in my way of understanding the world, has always been very important. Understanding Torah, and Shari Yoshi is where he develops. He devotes this enormous work to looking at at Chazokas and Rov and Sveikot. Uh, and that's that whole area of assumptions that we've been talking about, the power of choosing assumptions, how to make assumptions, uh, using statistics and assumptions, uh, using status quo and assumptions, all the different ways in halachav of dealing with assumptions. That's the subject matter of the Shara Yasha. And he deals with it in the in the, in the, the uh, Dama, in his introduction. He brings in the name of his brother-in-law, his late brother-in-law, Shlomo Zalman, uh, from Tells. He brings the story in the Gemara and Bovakama where Rav Chista asks Rami Bachama a question, and Rami Bachama says, Serve me first, and then I'll give you an answer. And so he folds Rami Bachama's talus in there, which was probably after Davning, and they're standing and talking, and he says, Serve me. So he takes his talus and he folds the talus for Rami Bachama, and then Rami Bachama answers him. And Rab Shimon explains, so in the name of his brother in law, if you have to apply a lot of effort into understanding something, you've got to decide whether it's worth the effort. There's some things you just read, you glance, you scan, you get there, certainly if it's fact, but if it's narrative, if it's philosophical, if it's halachic, if, if it's mathematical, and you're going to really try to understand this, you're going to invest a lot of effort. So you've got to make a decision early on whether you're going to invest effort in it or not. How much is there to read? How do you decide? Are you, am I going to invest the time and effort in reading, the, to reading this piece or not? Says Reb Shimon Shkop, it depends how, what, in what esteem you hold the author. Are his words worthy of investment in those words? The Vilna Gaon says something, something similar in the beginning of Sefer Mishle, where he says that's why Mishle starts off by saying that this is the, the Misholim of, of, of Shlomo ben David. You should know who the author is. Because once you know this is the Chochmah of Shlomo, you don't just look at it and if you don't understand something, carry on to the next verse or, uh, or, or ask a question and say he's talking He's talking nonsense. You don't do that if, if the author is Shlomo HaMelech. And, and Rav Shimon Shkop says the same here. Rami Bachama wanted to make sure that Rav Chista believed enough in him to be willing to invest the time and effort in understanding what, what he was saying. That's why, Grant, I appreciate it. So you didn't have to apologize for taking my time yesterday. I so appreciate it. Your, your desire to get deep, to understand what, what I'd said and taught from the, from the Medrash and Shabbos, to get so deep in it, to fit it into the way you had understood things and not to leave it, to persist until you felt you'd got it, that you were okay with it. To, that was so important. I really appreciated that. Uh, as as, as Shimon says here, if you, believe that, 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 if you believe it's worth it, put the effort in. If you don't believe it's worth it, don't waste your time listening to him. Why, why listen to Droshes and Shiurim and read articles and books of people you don't think it's worth really investing time to understand? Why waste the time in the first place? We, time is short. 
Why use that? Why stuff your head with things that are superficial or maybe right or maybe wrong? Choose your authors and learn the authors that you feel are worth it, whether it's an author of an oral piece or it's an author of a written piece. And then Rav Shemeshop goes on and he says, please understand, if you, if you don't think that my work is worthy of investment and time and effort, don't read it. Close the book. If you continue reading it, know you're going to have to work to really understand. We're dealing with very fine things that you can't fully explain in a sentence or in a paragraph. You're going to have to do the work. And if you're not willing to do the work, then I know what's going to happen. He says, you'll read something, you won't agree with it, and you'll write it off. Ah, Rav Shimon says, but he's wrong. That's what we tend to do. Sansa says, but he's wrong. Don't, if, if you're willing to write something off that somebody says, don't listen to him in the first place. So what's the authority? There's no authority. That's why authorship is, is so very important. And, and some of you know that, that every morning I have coffee with the Rashi's Chochma, very early in the morning. Uh, and that's the beautiful thing about Torah, that you can have coffee sitting in Ranana with the Rashi's Chochma from Tzfat from, from, from 500 years ago. Uh, and you can have a conversation, and we have some amazing conversations that are usually very relevant for what I'm busy with at the, at the time. And this morning he brought into the room, he brought with him Rabbi Yitzchak Demin Akko. Rabbi Yitzchak Demin Akko was 200 years before him, but that's in Torah, you can do that. He can be from the 16th century. Rabbi Yitzchak Demin Akko is from the 13th century, and we're sitting together in Ranana in the 21st century. It's just uh, Torah is amazing, and we're having a conversation. And Rabbi Yitzchak de Minako, Akko used to be a thriving Mokom Torah in the 13th century until the Mamluks conquered it in, in 1291. And at that time, Rabbi Yitzchak de Minako disappeared. And uh, we don't know if he was captured or if he ran away. He lands up in Italy and later on in Spain, where he is one of the great investigators of the authenticity of the Zohar, which just surfaced at that time. Uh, and he was one of the people who really authenticated uh, the, the Zohar. And Rabbi Yitzchak de Minaka says, this idea of authorship that you're talking about, he says, ties in very nicely with another conversation we were having. We were having a conversation about managing reactivity, and managing defensive reactivity. When somebody says something that offends you, that hurts you, how do you, how do you manage yourself so that it doesn't shake you, it doesn't, you, can, you can remain in a, uh, in a calm place? And, and he says, when, you, when something says, and it, it's beautiful what he says, he says, Laila min halilot belel Shabbos. says, this morning, sitting, we're having a cup of coffee, and he says, you know what? One evening, narrative, he tells the story. One Friday night, I was sitting late at night. What can a person do not to get angry? Well, that's what I was thinking about. And I dozed off. And while I was dozing off and I was in a semi-conscious state, I felt as if somebody was answering my question. When, when somebody like Rebizrach Deminacho is completely engrossed and enveloped in Torah, his intuition is that's Torah speaking to him, that's Hashem speaking to him. And, it, and the, the voice said to him, A person who doesn't want to be angry should be a masculine. Maskil doesn't mean like it meant in the, in the last century as somebody who kind of goes off the derech. A masculine means you need to be a thoughtful person. Uferush maskil, and he explains the word maskil means Get to the root of an idea. 
and to the root of a concept. Don't think on at a superficial level. Get to the root. That's what a maskil does. And that means, Look at the author. That's the root. If an idea is coming from somewhere, who's authoring that idea? Who's put that idea together? Who's brought the idea into the world? That's the source. That's what you've got to look at. And then he goes on to explain. So if you, if somebody says something to offend you, don't listen to the words. Look at the author. If the author is an idiot, then what do you care? It's like the birds are, are tweeting. It's irrelevant. They're just gossiping. At the, it shouldn't bother you. And if it's a chacham, then you should know it's something you should take notice of. Then don't worry about feeling offended. Worry about the seriousness, the accuracy of what he's saying. Once you clarify in your mind who the author is, an unbelievable piece of advice. Get, focus on the author, not on what he says. When it's narrative, focus on the author. If it's facts, focus on the facts. If it's facts, filter the facts. If it's narrative, either accept the whole story or reject the whole story. Don't even start with it because the author is not worthy of it. And that's what you've got to decide is the author of the shear, is the author of the article, is the author of the news piece, is the author of the conversation worth investing time and effort into. If it is, invest the time and effort and use it well. If it's not, then ignore it. It's not something that one has to, one has to worry about. So that Pesha Asaru, although it's a, a deep and complex halachic idea, which, as I said, will develop in many different dimensions through the Masechta, but for, for us right now, this idea, the Pesha Asaru, the author of the narrative, has the authority for the whole narrative. You can't filter the narrative and break it up into its pieces. If, the, if you accept this person's author, she says, Eishet Ish Hayiti, I was an Eshet Ish. And we say, yeah, we believe you. You were a married woman. Why do you believe her? Because you think she's a woman of integrity. Okay, then she's also the authoress of Ugrushani. And you've got to accept the full narrative of what she says, not only part of it. 